passage for this morning's sermon is Hebrews 9, 1 through 14. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship in an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section, in which the lampstand and the table and the bread of presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which the golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot speak in detail. These preparations having, having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. But into the second, sec, second only the high priest goes. And he, but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy place has not yet been opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the new covenant of grace and not of the law, which we could never achieve which could never achieve peace with you. We will be eternally grateful for the blood of the cross that covers our sin and allows access into your presence. This is something that the old covenant sacrifices never could achieve. That powerful love that only you can give. Amazing grace and mercy. Amen. Sometimes I, sometimes I feel bad about stuff. You guys ever feel bad about stuff? Anybody here think that I'm not the kind of person who feels bad about stuff? Well, I am the, I am the kind of person who feels bad about stuff. Maybe not as much as I should, but I do. What do we do? What do we do with a guilty conscience? When you, when you know that you have done something wrong, and you just feel, you feel bad about it. The, the conscience is an interesting thing. It's an interesting thing. It's, it's hard for an atheist to explain 
where the conscience comes from. The conscience is our deep personal knowledge of right and wrong. But it's more than just what we know. It's, it causes us to feel things, right? It, 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 it nags us. Not only does it inform us of, of how we have failed, but it makes us feel bad about it. Our conscience makes us feel bad about ourselves. It makes us feel guilty. Now, what many people don't realize is that what it's actually doing is, is making us feel unclean and guilty before God. It makes us feel as if we don't belong near God. Like we shouldn't be close to Him because we are guilty. Most of the time when people, uh, when you're talking with someone, especially if they don't believe in God or they don't think much about the Bible or, or they never believe the Gospel, if they're, they're not a Christian, most of the time if you're talking to someone like that, they, they feel bad about things still. They feel bad about things but they don't think about it in terms of they've failed God or they feel bad about what God thinks of them or something like that. They're not really thinking about that. But they still, um, sometimes even the most hardened criminals, they, they feel pangs of conscience. They feel bad about what they've done or who they are. And that's because everyone has a conscience. It can be seared. It can be ignored. It can be, to a great degree, silenced over time. But all of us have one. And um, I'm willing to bet, of course, if I did actually bet money, I probably would feel bad about that later. My conscience probably would not let me. So I'm not going to bet any money. But I'm willing to bet that... Even this week, we have felt guilty. Maybe it's about a very specific thing that we have done. Maybe just talking about this right now has gotten something stirred up in your own mind about something that you, yeah, you feel bad about something you did even this week. Maybe you, you spoke to someone in a certain way, or you spoke about them in a certain way, or you, you lied to someone, or you took something that didn't belong to you, or you engaged in, in lust, or, or you, 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 You did something that you know was wrong. Sometimes Bible teachers call this overt guilt. It's when we feel bad about something very specific. A lot of us also deal with uh, what Bible teachers call covert guilt. It's It's not necessarily that we're thinking about something specific that we've done but it's more about just the ways in which we wish we were better. I just, I don't feel like a very good husband or father or pastor. I don't feel like I've done enough. I don't feel, I feel like I've been lazy or apathetic or, or I, I feel like I've just, I feel like I've just failed. And so it's, it's not necessarily that we're thinking about one particular instance. It's more just like this general feeling of not being good enough. And and again, we don't always, even as Christians, we don't always think of this in terms of measuring up to to God's standard. Sometimes it's just measuring up to other people. It's what they think of us. Or maybe it's just what we think of in our own head. I just wish I was better. We just 
We, we, don't always, we don't always attach God's name to it. But whether we attach God's name to it or not, what we have to understand is that all of this comes from our conscience and all of this comes from what God Himself has given us. It's this awareness that we are guilty before Him. We don't measure up to His standard of goodness. We're not clean before Him. Whether we realize it or not, this feeling of, I'm not good enough, that's our conscience condemning us. That's what we're feeling. And so, this passage, and as, as Mark was reading it, probably many of us were like, what, what, what are we even talking about here? What is all of this? This feels like not only does it belong in a different era, it belongs on a different planet. This is all just stuff that we are not familiar with at all. Does this passage have any relevance to us right now? Yes, it does. Yes, it does, because it is going to help us. It is going to help us with something that we all, we all deal with on a daily and a weekly basis. This passage will help us to understand how we can have a clean conscience. How can we have a clean conscience? So the author of Hebrews is going to say two things in today's verses. Number one, he's going to say, the temporary tabernacle cannot purify your conscience. That's the first thing he's going to say. The temporary tabernacle cannot purify your conscience. And then he's going to say, number two, only the blood of Jesus can. Those are the two parts to our sermon this morning. The temporary tabernacle cannot purify your conscience. Only the blood of Jesus can. So let's, let's get into it. Temporary tabernacle cannot purify your conscience. Starting in verse 1. Now, even the first covenant, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1, now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. Verse 2, for a, for a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence, it is called the holy place. Okay, so the Old Testament tabernacle was amazing. The blueprint of it was given by God Himself. The, the tabernacle was this large tent. It was 15 feet high, 15 feet wide. It was 45 feet long. And it was a, it was a large tent. And it had a, a sort of a fence around it. The fence was actually a large cloth wall. So the large cloth wall went all the way around the tabernacle. And, and then there was a courtyard, right? So you, if you got into, if you came through that wall, right? You kind of passed through the gate into the wall, then you'd be in the courtyard. And then in that courtyard would be the tabernacle. Tabernacle 45 feet long, 15 feet high, 15 feet wide. And if you, and if you were a priest, and you got to go into that tabernacle, the first room, the first section, was called the holy place. And on that holy place, our verses, or in that holy place, our verses say, was a golden lampstand. Right? So there's a lamp, so the, so the priest could see what they were doing. There's no, there's no windows in the tabernacle. So you, the, the, so this lampstand, the lamp was very helpful. Priests could see what they were doing. And then there was a table in that holy place with a with a, the bread of the presence. This is twelve loaves representing the twelve tribes of Israel, and 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 each week that those twelve loaves would be eaten by the priests and then replaced each Sabbath day with sacred bread. 
Alright? So that was, if you, you got to go into the tabernacle, you got to go into that first section, that's what you would see. And then there was a second curtain. Our verses, starting in verse 3, our second curtain, where, where there, beyond that second curtain was the most holy place, or the holy of holies. Beyond that, behind verse 3, the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place. Verse 4, having the golden altar of incense, and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna, and Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. So the, the author of Hebrews isn't going to... His point here is not to give you sort of a tabernacle lesson, like a, a ins and outs of the tabernacle, but he wants us to be thinking about it for a moment here. He wants us to remember this is a, this is a pretty interesting, pretty amazing thing that God had designed for His people. Now, it's, it's also interesting that the author of Hebrews says that the most holy place um, is, is in verse 4, having the golden altar of incense. Because actually that golden altar was not in the most holy place. So if you, you go to the tabernacle, you're, you're in that first room, that, that holy place. You, you haven't gone into the most holy place yet. The golden altar is actually out in the holy place um, but it was so closely associated with the most holy place that the, that the author of Hebrews connects them together. The, the golden altar of incense is where the priests would burn incense while they were tending the lamps, while they were doing their, their priestly duties in the, in the tabernacle. And so when they would, that there was a, there's a cloud of incense coming from the altar. And this was a picture of the prayers of the people ascending to God. It's real, it's just a, a really, really cool thing. It's a really powerful thing. And now, it was essential that when the high priest had his once-in-a-year opportunity to go into the most holy place, no one went into the most holy place except for the high priest, and only once a year. When he went in, he had to pass through that cloud, that, the, that, the, um, that, that, that cloud of incense, that the... Um, that the, the golden altar of incense was creating. And so, this is why I think the author of Hebrews kind of has these two things connected, is because in order to go into the most holy place, you had to walk through that cloud of incense. And so, inside the most holy place was the Ark of the Covenant. It's about 45 inches by 27 inches. Is a box. It was overlaid with gold. Inside it was this golden urn that had some of the manna from back in the wilderness days. Manna that fall in the wilderness. They had kept some in this golden urn. And then there was Aaron's um, rod that had miraculously budded to kind of prove that he was God's uh, chosen priest. And then the uh, the tablets of stone with the Ten Commandments. So so and then on top of the ark was the mercy seat. It was this slab of pure gold and it had little golden figures of cherubim, of, of, of powerful, mighty, glorious angels. So this most holy place was this incredible room. It was amazing. It was an amazing room. It was the, it was the place where God said, I will meet with you and I will speak with you. So this tabernacle is this beautiful reminder of God's beauty and glory and holiness. But this tabernacle could not do what the people truly needed. It could not purify their conscience. It could not take away their deep sense that they were unclean before God. It couldn't make them feel better about themselves. 
It could not purify their conscience. And it was never designed to. Continuing on in verse 6, these preparations having been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. So, so the priests, when it was, when it was their chosen time to go in, this would be a, this would be an honor for them to be able to go into and, and, and do their, their ritual duties in the holy place in that first section. So the priests would get their opportunity, their week, to go and do that. But, verse 7, into the second, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. So, so you couldn't get to the good room. You couldn't get in there where God Himself dwelt, where God promised to, to be with His people. There's this thick curtain between the two sections of the tabernacle. So the regular citizens couldn't even get into the tabernacle at all. And the, and the priests who could get into that first section could not get into the second section. And the high priest could get into that second section, but only once a year. And only if he purified himself for a week ahead of time. And only if he offered a, um, a, a sacrifice for his own sins. And even then, they were very very afraid. It was, it, they, they were afraid that if that high priest went in there and something was just... He didn't do something right. That he would die in there. The whole setup was God's way of saying to His people, I love you. I want to be with you. But you are sinful. So you must keep your distance. That's what the tabernacle and the priests and the high priests and the curtain between God and everyone else, that's what it taught. Verse 8, By this the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. So this present age is best understood as the age of the tabernacle, the age of the old covenant, the age that was vanishing before their very eyes. The Holy Spirit was using the, the, temp, the temporary tabernacle and teaching us that we needed something better. We needed someone better. In fact, the tabernacle and, and all that was in it pointed directly to Jesus Christ. John, when, he, when the Apostle John wrote his Gospel, he said something very interesting. You, you Maybe you've heard this before, but when John was saying that, uh, talking about Jesus Christ coming and dwelling among us, he, he used the, 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 the word tabernacle. He tabernacled among us. Because John saw it. By God's grace, John saw it. That, that Jesus is the, he's the true tabernacle. He's the, he's the true lampstand. He's the light of the world. He's the true bread. He's the bread of life. The, the constant incense points to his continuous prayers on our behalf. And he is the one, if you read the, the end of the Gospels, when he dies, the, the, the curtain separating the holy place from the most holy place, that curtain is torn in two. The Old Testament priests and the Old Testament tabernacle, they, they couldn't truly 
purify anyone's conscience. Verse 9, according to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. But deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body. It can clean the body. It can clean you socially. It can can make you fit to, to be as close to God as everybody else in Israel was. It can, the, 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 the washings and the sacrifices and the regulations, they can get you as close as everybody else. It, it, you, you won't have to be an outcast. You won't be a, have to be outside the camp with, with the lepers or with the other people who have touched a, a dead body or the women who were on their period. You could, you could be clean, right? You could be close enough. But you still can't get, you can't get into the most holy place. You can't get where you really, 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 really want to be. And there's something inside you that says, yeah, I shouldn't be in there. The, the, the regulations and the walls and the keep out signs, it was a beautiful picture of what's happening in our hearts. Yeah, I, I shouldn't be in there. I don't deserve to be in there. This is good. This is right. I don't want to, I don't want to go in there. I don't deserve to be in God's presence. The whole thing couldn't do what the people truly needed. It couldn't bring them into God's presence. It couldn't bring them into the holy place because it it couldn't purify their conscience. It couldn't get them clean on the inside. It could get them clean on the outside. But no matter how outwardly clean they got, their conscience wasn't purified. So the author of Hebrews is clear here. Your, Your problem, whether you choose to admit it or not, Your problem is that you need your conscience purified. And the temporary tabernacle cannot do that for you. That's the first part of our sermon. The temporary tabernacle cannot purify your conscience. Which brings us to our second part. Only the blood of Jesus can. Only the blood of Jesus can. Starting in verse 11, but when Christ appeared. And are, are, there any, are there any better words than, but when Christ appeared? But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, the heavenly things, the eternally good things, the unassailable things in heaven, as, as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. So this, this tabernacle was a, was a, just a, a picture, a shadowy copy of the, of the, the perfect tent. The heavenly dwelling place of God. Verse 12, he entered once for all into the holy places not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus, searing, thus, thus securing an eternal redemption. How has Christ secured an eternal redemption? By means of His own blood. When Christ appeared, he did what no one else could do. He entered not the most holy place here on earth, but to the ultimate most holy place, the very heavenly presence of God. And he entered once for all. And, the, and he is there forever. He has opened, think about this with me, he has opened 
unfettered, unlimited, unending access to God for all those who trust in Him. He has opened unfettered, unlimited, unending fellowship with God for all those who trust in Him. There's this feeling that we get when we, when we are less than someone else. There's a, there's a feeling that we get when, when we see them. We, I would love to go talk to that person. But they are more important than I am. They are smarter than I am. They are more essential than I am. Their, their, their time is more valuable than my time is. I don't belong in their company. Christ has removed that, that barrier that was between us and the most important person in the universe. If we are in Christ, if we are trusting in His death on the cross, in His blood that He shed to make us right with God, then we have unfettered, unlimited, unending access to God. So we can have boldness and intimacy in prayer right now. And we can be sure that one day we will physically be in His actual presence and we will be there forever. How is this possible? Because Christ can do what no one else can do. He can purify our conscience. Verses 13 and 14, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, it cleans us up on the outside how much more will the blood of Christ, who, who through... Look at what the triune God has done in the Gospel. Look at, what the, look at what the Trinity, the three persons of the Trinity have done in the Gospel. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God the Father, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So here's the thing. Here's the thing. If you've zoned out, zone back in. Your main problem is not that you feel guilty. Your main problem is that you are guilty. Same goes for me. My main problem is that you are guilty. No, my main problem is that I am guilty. And only the blood of Jesus Christ can make us clean before God. See, see the, the, the Old Testament sacrifices had to be outwardly clean. They had to be inspected to make sure there was no spot, no blemish. That they were a clean, outwardly sacrifice. Jesus Christ is not just outwardly clean, like the animals used for sacrifices were. Jesus is inwardly clean. He is morally pure. He is morally perfect. He is sinless. And so His blood is able to do what nothing else can do. His blood can cleanse our sins. His, his inwardly perfect blood can, can inwardly perfect us. It can inwardly clean us. It can clean us where we need to be cleaned. It can make us clean and pure before God. And this is the only way we can have any peace in our conscience. Do you ever feel guilty? Like you just messed up big time. You just don't measure up. Like you're nowhere near the spouse or parent or neighbor or friend or employee or employer 
that you should be? Where do we go when we feel miserable about ourselves? Well, here's where you don't go. You don't go to the Old Testament tabernacle. And right now you're thinking, I wasn't, I do, I wasn't going to do that. I don't, I don't even, I don't think we can, that's, what are you talking about? But we go, we go to other places. If you, if you come up after church and you talk to me about any other religion besides, besides the gospel of Jesus Christ, I will, I will point you to a religion where people are going, where they're going because their conscience bothers them. They're trying to do something to, to clean themselves up. Every other religion in the world is built on that. This, this conscience that God has given us that we've got to do something about. But you and I, good, good little evangelicals that we are, we don't go to the Old Testament tabernacle. We don't go do the, we don't go do the, the things, right? We don't, we don't, we don't, there's a whole bunch of rituals we just don't do. Because we get it. But I'll tell you though, we're still very tempted. We, we get, when, when, when we feel bad about ourselves, we get, we get rattled very easily. We get defensive very easily. We, we very quickly feel like we need to explain ourselves, defend ourselves, maybe, maybe point out why other people are to blame. And, and maybe this doesn't happen like in outward conversations. Like maybe when you feel bad about yourself, maybe you're not a big you know, verbal processor, so you just kind of unload on someone. Maybe it's all internal. Maybe you have a lot of conversations in your head sort of explaining why what you've done is someone else's fault or why it's not that bad or why... Who are you talking to in there? What are you doing in there? And then if we're church people, we're, we're tempted to also think that that doing churchy stuff will make us feel better about ourselves. This is not something that we're really overtly thinking about, but, but when we feel sort of bad about ourselves, we end up doing a bunch of like just good stuff. We attend church on Sunday morning, we put money in the offering plate, we, we serve in various ministries, we go out of our way to help those in need. We do a bunch of good stuff, but we're doing it for the wrong reasons. We're doing it in order to feel like a better person. We're doing it because our conscience is nagging us. We're doing it because we feel we don't measure up. So if we're not careful, we're not going to go and do a whole bunch of like official rituals at some church. We're not going to do that. We're going to do a lot of unofficial stuff. Hoping we'll feel better about ourselves. We have to stop and think this morning, if, if the tabernacle and the priesthood that God designed in the Old Testament was never going to purify someone's conscience, it was, it was never even meant to, if the system that God designed was never going to do it, why in the world do we think our system will? These are the dead works that he talks about in verse 14. 
They accomplish nothing. Stop trying to make yourself feel better. Stop trying to talk in ways that you'll gain other people's sympathy. There's, there's not enough sympathy in the world to purify your conscience. Stop trying to do enough good church stuff to, to feel better about yourself. There's, there's not enough good church stuff in the world to purify your conscience. Only the blood of Jesus can do this. Because once again, your problem is not that you feel guilty. The problem is that you are guilty. Unless you have believed the Gospel... So, so is Jesus Christ your Savior? Have, have you repented of your sin? Have you recognized that your sin has separated you from God? And, and have you turned to Jesus Christ alone to save you? Is, is His blood that He shed on the cross your only hope to be forgiven? If that's true, then you are forgiven. You're forgiven. And not only are you forgiven, but you're purified. And not just on the outside... Not just the stuff people know about. You're purified on the inside. You are forgiven of sins that you don't even know about. You're forgiven of sins that you forgot you did. You're forgiven of sins that you have not committed yet. You are clean before God. If you haven't believed the Gospel, then please do it right now. You need to believe that salvation from the hell that, that we all deserve for our sins is found in Christ and Christ alone. And then if you have trusted Christ, uh, I'm willing again to bet that from time to time you still feel lousy. You still feel guilty. You still feel miserable. The answer is not to explain your situation to everyone. The answer is not to do more church stuff. The answer is to remember the Gospel the answer is to remember that you cannot make yourself clean before God and you don't need to because Jesus made you clean with His precious blood. So does this mean that it doesn't matter how we live? We don't need to do church stuff? It doesn't matter what kind of spouse or parent we are? Yes, go home. No. No, verse 14 is clear, isn't it? Let me read verse 14 one more time. How much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Why did Jesus purify our conscience? So, so yes, a lot of it was so that we could have unfettered, unlimited, unending access to God. And that we could have unfettered, unlimited, unending fellowship with God. But it's also so that we could serve God, actually serve the living God. So the answer to me feeling like a lousy dad isn't me doing a bunch of stuff. Or, or trying to r rally up some sympathy. So I'll feel better about myself. The answer is for me to rejoice, to remember and rejoice that Jesus Christ has once and for all paid for all of my failings. I've got a lot of failings. He's paid for every single one of them yet. There's a bunch of stuff I haven't even, there's, 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 I, I have, I, I'm going to fail in ways that I haven't even dreamed up yet. I call it jinxing myself. Sunday night, I say, you know what, this past week, not too bad. Monday is a tire fire. Monday is just me destroying anything and everything that comes in my way.
What is the, what is the answer? When I'm like, what is wrong with me? The answer is to remember and rejoice that Jesus Christ has once and for all paid for every single one of my failings. Am I going to suffer earthly consequences for my foolishness? Yes, I am. Will I ever, ever, ever be be denied access to the Father? Is my place in heaven ever going to be in jeopardy? No. Because Jesus Christ has paid for every single one of my failings. And as I remember and rejoice in this, then it's then, as that settles into me, it's then that I set out by His grace to serve the living God. Not trying to prove or earn anything. Those are the, those are the dead works. Me trying to prove to God why, like, why it was a good idea that He saved me. Dead works. But instead, But instead, I set out by His grace to serve the living God. What does that mean, to serve the living God? It means, well, I I confess known sin. When, When my conscience, when my conscience gets after me, nags me, I can have a calm, I I can have a calm conversation with my conscience. I, I, I don't, I don't have to go into, I don't have to go into PR mode. I don't have to go into spin. I don't, I don't have to go and, and explain myself to everybody. I don't need to do a whole bunch of stuff before I can feel good about it. I don't have to do any of that. I can think, why do I feel guilty? It's, well, it's because I did that. Well, that was stupid and sinful. I shouldn't have done that. No, I shouldn't have. You know what? I'm glad. I'm glad Jesus paid for that. I'm glad that He has given me His Spirit so that I can fight against that in the future. This is my only hope. Christ paid for that. Christ knew who I would be. He died for me. So now I, I, I submit to God's Word. I, I resist temptation. I, I, I try to love and serve others. I, I try to seek to honor God. I want, I want His amazing grace. I want His glory to, to be Big deals in my life. Obviously big deals in my life. And this is not because I'm trying to earn something. Because I'm trying to fix something inside. It's because I have been fixed inside. It's because I've been cleaned. Because I'm thankful. So we set out. Serve the living God. We want to honor Him. We want to love Him. We have nothing to prove. Jesus is our righteousness. We have nothing to earn. Jesus has purified us. And if Jesus has purified us, then Jesus has purified us. It's done. So as this settles deeper and deeper into us, we are motivated more and more and more to serve the living God. Let's pray together. God, we thank You for Your Word. I pray that if there is someone um, here who hasn't believed the Gospel, that You would bring them to life today. That You would cause them to believe the Gospel. That You would open up their heart to understand and to believe the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And then for times, God, when we still struggle, we just feel bad. Help us to be calm. Help help me to be calm, God. When When my guilt comes down upon me, 
Help me to be calm. Help me to, to remember that, yes, yes, I have. I have done something foolish and sinful. Yes, I, I need to apologize for that. I need to confess that to you. I may need to confess that to other people. I, I need to fight against that in the future. I need to be ready that that's a temptation that I'm going to face. And I've I got to be ready for that I, I, and, and, and depend upon your grace for that. So, so help me, God. Help us, God, to take our sin seriously. But, but then help us to, to remember right away Right away, as this conviction comes down upon us, the guilt comes down upon us, help, help us to remember right away the gospel of your Son. Help us to rejoice right away that Jesus Christ has paid for every single one of our failings. Free us, God, from these foolish desires to, to explain ourselves or to make ourselves feel better or to prove that we're actually pretty good people. Help us not to live there, God. Help us to live in the gospel. It's in your son's precious name we pray this. Amen.